On this week's Merge Conflict, we discuss the importance of the README, GitHub issues and how to properly submit bugs and provide feedback, and realizing there are only so many hours in a given day. All this and more on this week's Merge Conflict. So you go to github.com, you create an account, you create a new repository, and you push a bunch of code. That's open source, right, Frank? That's it. Yeah, you just got to write the files. I mean, you should check if they compile first, and then you can upload them. That's due diligence. Do you have so, a problem with that? No. I mean, as long as it compiles, works on your machine, then you're good. Right. Well, maybe that was good in the 90s, but we're doing a little bit better these days, maybe. And, and the question really comes up is, what happens next? So let's say you do have a successful push of your first code. That And granted, always first commit to GitHub, initial commit, which you always did. What's well, the second one? Because GitHub, of course, did the readme commit. But what happens next? Frank and I, we've been both really active in the open source community. Frank, a lot longer than me. So he's kind of seen, most likely, the transition over the years of this beautiful, evolving world of open source. But what happens next? How do you manage your workflow, pull requests, and how do you actually make sure that people know what to do when they go to your GitHub repo? I think it's a very confusing topic. And, and I think there's so many more people now, Frank, going into open source, not only just to consume it into their application, but that want to be active. You see these initiatives from Microsoft, from people like Scott Hanselman talking about you know, you know, first, first code commits, like let's get people active pushing code. So when you go and create a brand new repo, Frank, What's the very first thing that you do? A brand new repo. Uh, yeah, I guess it's code first. I pretty much always start with something that I've written on my own. It's kind of done. It, I, I just got to push it out to the world. So get the code in there, and then I'm going to skip your what's the first thing, because it's get the code in there, but then it's all about the readme. It's just the readme. You have to write a good readme these days. If not to uh, get actual contributors, but just to get anyone to use your library, I think everyone relies on you need a good description, you need a good getting started. Why did I write this library? Put a license on there. Please put a license on there because some people are stuck in working conditions where they need it. So yeah, it's the documentation. It always comes back to the documentation. You got to do that next. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I always like to put a... Yeah, why did I create this? What it, what is it trying to accomplish? Yeah. Why your, yet another open source library? Why are you going to take this burden of this crazy person's code that you've never met before and are you going to trust it? Yeah, it's yeah. important. Exactly. I wrote MVVM helpers not too long ago and it essentially is all this all these these little functions and helper things that you end up writing like implementing I notify property change and observable range collection. I go, "You know what?" I'm sick and tired of writing this code all over again. So I'm going to put it into a repo and I'm going to do a proper readme. Here's every single thing with tests. I have a good friend, Luke Carries, who's a web developer. And he said, every time I have to wrote, write code twice, I'm going to put it in a package. That That is due diligence right there. I, I wish I did that. I, I've written the same code so many times. I've even had the experience of I'm typing code and I'm like, I know I wrote this before. I know I could probably do a spotlight search for it, but look, I'm still typing it. And you can actually take a third person perspective <laughs> watching yourself do that. It's terrible. So that is a great habit. I'm not in it. I'm totally jealous. Who is this? A role this model. Luke Carries, LukeCarries.com, my good friend. Uh, and 
he works at and yet a company in washington up here and he, he lives in a, an amazing forest in in uh, tanto village in uh, wow. in arizona he's amazing he's he's one of my best friends from college He's amazing, and and that was his quote. And I and I reiterate this quite often because it comes back to how I go about open sourcing projects, which is, gosh darn it, I've written this code five times. Maybe not the second time, maybe not the third time, but the fifth time, I'm like, I know I'm not going to write this code again. And little tiny helper libraries, I kind of shove them in there and group some things together. It's not going to be a function. I'm not going to push a NuGet package for a function. Well, maybe censored is like one function to censor stuff, but you know, it has a lot of logic behind. It's a group of things. But I want to go back, Frank. You oh, right. said you push the code. Push that now, code. Yeah. Now, uh, here's the most important part to me when you're starting an open source project is you've created a repo. Remember that that repo lives on your machine. Yeah. And it's basically a closed source project at that point. Yeah. And you yeah. need to publish it to GitHub. And you can create yeah. that repo, you can link it together, and you can push the code. Yeah. But if you start, I always like to start new projects and new libraries by creating a local repo. So my question to you is, so do you keep the commit history or do you delete the delete history? <laughs> Isn't this the newest holy war that programmers have? I don't really, I'm going to state my opinion, but I don't want to defend it. So just putting it out there. No, leave the history. If you need a squashed history, get better tools. Just deal with it. Anyway leave the history. I think that's the most fascinating part, honestly. When Apple open source Swift, you could go back to the initial commit and the second commit and the third commit, and you could see the programming language be built uh, bit by bit. And it's quite fantastic just uh, for the educational experience and for learning the code. It's maybe the long path, but it's certainly a good path to learning a code base. So yeah, you got to leave that history. How about you? Are you a squasher? Uh, it depends. I do library by library. Uh, so for anyone that doesn't kind of know um, how this is working, right? So when you create a new repo on GitHub, essentially that's live. And if you clone that repo immediately, every time you commit, that's going to be in your public history. But if you have a local and you, and you go into the GitHub client or create one in inside of Terminal or something like that, you're creating local history. And the one time I get rid of it, Frank, is if... I'm a dummy and I do a bunch of keys and I don't want to go back. Like, let's say I accidentally put my Azure key or AWS oh, key. Or something I like got that. you. Yeah, that is yeah. the one time where I call up my Git masters. What do you call them? Git gurus? Git, Git friends? I don't know. The yeah. people who actually know how to use Git, those people are, are invaluable. And I say, pull it out. Please, how do you edit history? And then they shake their head. They're like, don't put keys in the repo. And I'm like, just this one time, help me. And every year I do that. So yeah, I, I get I get the squashing habit there for sure. But it's unfortunate that you're killing your history for that. I, I try not to. Um I, I want to keep it around as much as as much as I can. And if I what I like to do is I like to actually start with just a public repo. I'm just going to do a public repo. If I know what I'm going to create, that way it forces me to do my due diligence and watch every single one of those commits. But we have the code up there. We have great documentation. You write, you it's, know. Okay, it's not documentation. It's a readme. But it's yeah. a readme. Great. Read, like, yeah. Ooh, stark difference here from ooh, Frank. There is. There is. Uh, is. Only because this is a weak spot for me. Uh, I, I'm notoriously bad at documenting my libraries. Uh, it's not something to be proud of, but just for this one moment, I will be because 
Wow, writing good docs is a lot of effort. It turns out, I mean, you wrote this code, it's complicated, but you put a good API on top of it. You're, so, you're like, my names are awesome. I, anyone can figure out how to use this library. And then, uh, well, you distribute it and you learn quite quickly that people demand at least XML comments, uh, you know, inline IntelliSense comments, if not proper documentation, break it out into some separate files. That is quite separate from the README. The README's job is almost a marketing pitch. This is the App Store front screen. You want to explain what this library is, why it's invaluable, how to install it, and maybe how to contribute and a license. That's the README. I like it's that. It's not docs. Yeah. Now, I will say, if you're not going to create docs, and if you're able to, so like, a, a good, here's what I like to do. In my README, I think that we could have a whole conversation on this README because <laughs> it, it, it is it is your it's your storefront to, to literally, is. like you're saying, selling it. I put the NuGet package with a build status. Good stuff, good stuff. I tell you what it's, well, the build status. I have my builds if I'm in CI. Yeah, yeah we should cover that. So uh, what tool are you using for your build? It, so, so I'm talking, uh, at this point, I'm talking libraries, right, that we're publishing and not apps. Um, if I'm publishing my library, I use AppVayer. Yep, yep. AppVayer, which is you great. Yep. AppVayer, it's free for public repos. And it, and it works with Xamarin iOS and Android and all the Windows platforms. Not Xamarin Mac, though, Ooh, um, because you need a Mac. And I hope yeah. one day Xamarin will add that support. Just just to build. I don't need to design or actually do anything. Just build the library. I, I'm with you. As someone who has to maintain multiple platforms, I'm with you. All you want is the build status. I'll, I'll go test it when it's time to release. But yeah, just the build status is plenty. Exactly. And then I put, um, you know, I'm a big believer in some documentation on this. So I have like API usage. And if it's if it's big, you hate this. You hate this so much. I love no, it. No, no, I'm Frank quite the opposite. Shake, no, I just shaking his head at me. I misspoke. I misspoke. Yes, there should be some. I think I said like a getting started. There has to be so. some okay. high level you get you into the API. That's yeah, completely this, valid. And this needed. is how you install it. Right, this is how you install it. Because maybe it's not on NuGet. Maybe it's a, you got to grab the source code. God forbid. When I, when I grabbed uh, SQLite Net the very first time, SQLite Dash Net, the very first time, it was a file that I think I just grabbed off your GitHub page and oh copied boy, it in talk there. about learning open source software the hard way. Oh geez, yeah, <laughs> I, and we dive into that. Um, so I do. I, I talk about the API usage. So for instance, my Vibrate plugin, right? It's just how do you could vibrate a device with a little rumbler on there? And I say, well, this is how you get access to it. This is how you call it. And this is the, you know, the methods that are in there if you want to take a look at them. And then I say, here's how you contribute and here's the license file. And this is all in the readme. So from a high level overview, you don't have to dive through all the different files. Oh, do I need to find the license file? I got to find this other thing. I say, listen, if you find a bug, if you want a new feature, open an issue. If you want to contribute, um, create a fork, create a branch and send a pull request. I may not, I may not, I may not accept it. That's step. That's the next step, right? How do we actually interact with people? Yeah. <laughs> how do we, how do we as developers interact with the development community? That is my forefront. Um, how did I do? I think it's excellent. So you rely on XML documentation. Then you don't have any separate docs, but it comes with the API when you nuget it. Uh, correct. So yeah. So I, I put I put um, if I'm. If I am going that to be seems creating valid tribute. for .NET, right? Like it, it's a minimum bar, but uh, it's a valid minimum bar. You can't, mm. yeah. 
you can't fault anyone for just doing that level. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I put all my summaries in there. I fill in my nice. params. Nice. Um, and, and you know, I try to do self docu- documenting code. So if I the if I have a method called vibration, like that's the name of the method. That could be a little bit Vibrations better. Vibrations should be, I mean, methods should be verbs in that case if it's a procedure. Yeah, and it, but the, the summary is vibrate device for a specified amount of time. So maybe takes, vibrate device would have been a good name. Probably, probably. And then it takes in a milliseconds. That The milliseconds is a the name of the... time span would have been a little better. T- this is Code Review span. Live on Merge Conflict. Do you feel the conflict happening right now? I can. This is why I don't let Frank Code Review. Um <laughs> And then I literally say time in milliseconds, the default is 500 milliseconds. Uh, and then it just handles it from there. But yeah, th- those are things that I've learned my lesson. Actually, these things that you're saying, I learn my lessons through issues and pull requests. And I see people actually changing things. So you should take in as times, don't say milliseconds or time, like generic things. Because the worst is when you go back through your own project and you're like, what, what, is, it, what is time? Is it seconds? Yeah. Is it milliseconds? Just do a time span, then you know for sure. Or you could use but, F Sharp and use proper units. There you go. Or you could do that. <laughs> and it's all C Sharp. So should we I talk also, about that? Should we, should we jump into the nitty gritty of project management? What do we do about issues? What do we do about pull requests? How do we actually help people along? Sure. Or should we complain some more? Well, about- okay. <laughs> so here's, you know, we can complain all day, I think, about this. About I think that I think the readme I think the readme is very important, like you're saying. One thing that I'm starting to also do is I'm also saying what tools I use to build this Ooh, project. Smart. I guess it's a little unfortunate. You kind of wish .NET was a hundred billion percent cross-platform and it really didn't matter. But the fact is, yeah, you can kind of tell projects that came from Windows versus projects that came from Mac or Linux. It's it's true. Yeah, and and that's kind of the the issue that I've been running in when it comes to just issues. If we if we if we dive through the tabs, right? We have code, issues, pull requests, wiki, pulse, graphs, like contributors. And what I first find is that people will complain and say this thing doesn't compile. Yeah, I, I I'm a big culprit here. I write all my scripts in Bash, and guess what? That does not work well for those <laughs> Windows users. Not but yet. Actually, yeah, you just reminded me. Soon, soon, soon. Well, I, I do everything in C-Sharp 6, which is only in Xamarin Studio and Visual Studio 2015, which means that if you're using older versions of Visual Studio, you can no longer compile any of my projects. Oh, I never thought about that. But it's yeah. free. Who cares? But it's free. And of course, your nougats don't matter. So I actually state this. And obviously, when there's new IDEs and new restrictions, you got to gotta tell people this stuff. But um, you know, it's really important. But you know, that's my code. That's my README. And that's the very first thing to do. And this is Markdown. How did you learn Mark, Markdown? Do you use any tools? Because this oh, is so crazy to me. This, I mean, they have a great Markdown editor in GitHub, but it's not perfect, right? You don't want to do everything in the browser. <laughs> uh, this is a fun subject for me. I, I would love to do a whole series on typography and how to get uh, characters into nicely laid out forms. But... Uh, uh, I came to Markdown from a funny path. I was really into ASCII languages that described complicated outputs. So tech, uh, uh, T, Epsilon, uh, Chi, uh, tech, the program, which became LaTeX. Uh, everyone uses it to do scientific papers and any research papers. It was written by Donald Knuth. It's a fantastic piece of software, and I <laughs> fell in love with it. I, I, was, <laughs> I was a tech freak all throughout college. 
And uh, the only problem with it was it wasn't really web friendly. And so you were stuck with HTML basically on the internet. And yet some of us who had come from these other backgrounds using tech, uh, we wanted our better layouts and things like that. So there was a whole series of years where people were creating new languages that compiled into HTML. And I remember following a couple of them, and unfortunately it's been so long, I can't even remember any names. But Markdown was kind of the last of those. Um, it, it came up in the middle, and it just stayed strong. Uh, and people loved it, uh, they got used to its syntax, uh, it was adopted very quickly. So I was an early adopter of Markdown, but only because at the same time I had learned like four or five of these other ones and I was trying them all just because I love typography and I hate the web and HTML. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's my funny story. So I actually love Markdown. At, at any chance, I mean, I've written apps that support it and you can write Markdown in. So obviously I love Markdown. But how about you? I mean, do normal people like Markdown? I think, you know, I got so used to just writing. So I came from writing blog posts in WordPress and on Tumblr. And I ended up just writing everything in HTML. And it's quite terrible to write, you know, bold and this. And it's not really human readable. We shouldn't it's just kind bash of like it mashed. since it, it created the entire internet. I mean, oh, the it, web I mean, is impressive. It's awesome. HTML is great, but it, and it does, sucks it does, to write. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It sucks to write. I'm not a web developer. I think that's my problem when it comes to HTML. So if I want to pretty my stuff up, it takes a long time. So... I like Markdown because it makes, you know, when I do a bunch of, you know, uh, um, pound signs, like I know kind of the different H1, H2, I'm converting it in my mind. Um, I just, I actually got into Markdown because of GitHub, because it is how you create it. And then Tumblr created an option to write Markdown to Tumble. Genius. I've been slowly converting all my blog to that markdown format. They still do a little processing I don't like, but yeah, whatever. Exactly. Take what now, you can get. I will say there's probably some different flavors of markdown, but I think it's good to yeah. learn. And all you got to do is learn the basics. I mean, it's quite simple. There's ways to bold, there's ways to do this, but make sure you preview ahead of time. There's a preview word in there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, I keep forgetting there's a button there, so I'll commit changes, look at it, go back and forth. And now I have like 20 commits of me updating my README. Yeah. And well, possibly of- uh, the, the other quick ones to learn on GitHub is how to reference issues very quickly, how to reference commits very easily. Uh, off the top of my head, I think you just do the first few characters of the commit, right? It's usually pretty good to get that to trigger. Yeah, you can do the first few, or you can just add a link if you find the commit. If you, Yeah, that's, that's you, a lot of work. <laughs> and, and you link it or the issue, and then you can do that. Of course, when you're committing code, you can say fixes number... 35 yeah. and then it'll automatically link that auto, you know into it but uh, do your due diligence and links which brings us actually to issues right ooh issues um I so have issues. you frank um have uh, a very popular ooh. library called sqlite-net this is actually my first open source library it's kind of the one near and dear to my heart it has currently 218 open issues 70 closed it's not too many not ooh. too many what's that ratio hmm. 1 to 3 1 <laughs> to 3 28 open pull requests, and 114 closed. That's and a lot of closed. Got to give me some That's credit. a lot of closed. That's a lot of closed. Um, and when I look at some of my libraries, like my Xamarin plugins, I have like 100 or some odd. I just went through and I closed 30 issues. So one, for people don't know, you want to contribute. So I'm a developer. I, I'm putting my code on GitHub. Frank uses it. So we're going to go with a developer-developer role. Frank, you're going to use my library. 
Frank, you run into an issue. What do you mm. do? Uh, Email must, me. Call me up on Twitter. No, direct uh, message. Me. <laughs> the, the, Let's the pretend thing, I don't know you, or we're not friends, or we just had a falling out. So you email me, you direct me. This is very similar things that happen in real life. Yeah, that that's what's nice about small communities. You could do that in the beginning, but unfortunately, I think the .NET community has gotten big enough where you can't really pull that off anymore. <laughs> so what do you do? Yeah, you file an issue. No, no, <clears throat> taking that back. You search for someone else who has filed that issue first. <laughs> there it this is. is a mistake. Uh, obviously, I make it myself all the time, uh, mostly to Xamarin's chagrin. <laughs> I'm always <laughs> posting bugs to Xamarin. Uh, yeah, do your due diligence and actually uh, do the search. I don't know. How good is GitHub's issue search? Do you find it all right? Yeah, it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. The, the problem is, is when you click on issues, it filters out closed issues. So it's only Ooh, open issues. Yeah, so, pro tip, click the closed ones because who knows, you might be on an old version. It could be fixed in master. Things like that yes. happen all the time. It, additionally, it could, be a, it could have been rejected too. Yeah, that's sad, but yep. So let's say let's say Frank, you, this is you, this is an issue that's unreported. 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 So okay, now you have to put your I'm going to write a good bug report hat on. This is mm-hmm. a tough hat to wear. It's very heavy, drags you down. So you're in the middle of some code. You're trying to get it to work. You've been struggling for two hours. Finally, you decide no, it's just a bug in this stupid library. You're frustrated. You're hungry. You're tired, and it's time to write a bug report. So. Take a 15-minute break. <laughs> go for a walk. Go to the bathroom. Get a coffee. Chill, chill out. Yep, maybe coffee. Maybe not. Maybe a depressant. <laughs> chill out for a minute. Then, when you're settled, time to write the bug report. And just include the important things. Uh, what kind of machine are you using? What version do you have? Sorry, number one. What version do you actually are you actually using? Uh, that might take a little bit of sleuthing, a little bit of looking around, but it helps developers a lot. Uh, and then just do your best to describe the problem. That's it. What more can you ask for out of an issue? Yeah, I like to. I, yeah, the, the, what version are you using? What 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 were you expecting it to do? Yeah, the old rule. What are your expectations? What actually happened? happened. What would you like to blah, see? Blah happen? blah blah. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, ideally, if you put in X, do you expect Z to come out? You know. Yeah. Um, and that, it, I'm like, it's a good form. It's a good thing to think in your head, but I find it a little tedious when I actually try to follow that form. Sometimes yeah. just one, two, three paragraphs, short paragraphs, get it out, use your Twitter skills. The, the, more, the more information you can give, the, the more likely I'm going to read it. Now, don't write me a novel. That's, I don't want a that, novel. That's the problem. There's a two fine line. Yeah, yeah. And right. this goes for everything. Anytime you're trying to contact anyone about anything, Keep it short, people. Just don't don't waste people's time with long explanations. That's very true. Just write an email. Just short, in and out, get it done. You don't want to read all of it. But I want to know the important part, it's which true. is... true. You got to put it in. Like, I'd write a lot of cross-platform libraries just like you. Was it iOS? Was it yeah. Android? Like, what was it? Like, let that, me that's know. the worst when supporting a cross-platform app. Someone writes in and says this part of the app doesn't work, and you just you feel so terrible writing back because they just sent you an email. What are you running this on? Like, yeah. where are you? Give me your device. Are you on Earth? Version of- <laughs> and also, I also ask people if it's iOS, what version of Xcode are you running? Like, Ooh. what version of Xamarin <laughs> are you running? Sometimes, I mean, sometimes you need this information. Yeah. Um, so that's good. All right. So you got some issues. That's good. But what if you, what is if it's missing a feature? What if you want it to do something? Okay. So we're, we're, we're talking proper now, right? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, proper form, I guess I would say you're going to want to fork the library. Well, let's start with, are you willing to implement this feature? Because that's the decision every developer has to make. You either got to drop this library and find a new one, or sorry, but you're going to add this feature. You could theoretically post an issue requesting the feature, but let me tell you, those don't get very far. Um, <laughs> they're nice. They're a good historical record, especially if people start thumbing up it. Th- that's that came out to it terribly wrong. Yeah, you, you can now add you little emojis. You can okay. plus one anyway, it. Plus one it. Plus one it. That's good, I guess. It's kind of like a cheap user voice or something like that, a cheap voting system. But in general, in open source, if it's missing a feature and you can't get other people to help you out, you're going to be writing it. It's just it how sense. the world works. Yeah. I get a lot of people actually just put feature requests. I usually put like bug or question or feature requests in it if you can. And I label them afterwards so people kind of know um, what's going on. And, and I think what we want to do in the open source is create this friendly, inviting environment. If you post a, if someone posts to me uh, an issue and it's like, oh, this thing doesn't work, and they post a stack trace and it's huge. I probably am just going to close it because it's very inappropriate for someone to do that. Um, now, if you tell me what's wrong and then you say, here's a stack trace and it's on Pastebin or it's on a GIST, then I'm, I'm pretty much okay with that because that will give me some diagnostic information. Um, so when I analyze issues, right, so whether it's a feature request or whether it's a bug, it's I now, so developer, me, has to go in, I get an email and my heart like is like, oh no, like, oh, someone has an issue. I gotta go fix this thing. Because I've already tested it. It seems to work for me. And who knows what they're doing it on. So now I have to go validate it. I have to go do this. Did they give me like a, a code snippet? And if you're code snipping it, just did the the dash dash dash, like the the up top, like the tick, 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 and then it'll code format completely for you. But I have to now go validate this thing. So if if it's easy, I'm more likely to fix it. So if you want stuff fixed. Make it a very small sample case. Heck, put it on your own GitHub. Let me clone it. Let me pull it down. Like, I'll do this. Sounds great. That's awesome. Not that I do this myself, but like, that would be great. I'm like, feature request, right? When people do this stuff. And then I'm either going to accept your bug or I'm just going to tell you that I don't. And then maybe I leave it open. Maybe I close it. I don't know how I feel. I never want to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't know. I yeah, don't know. yeah. Uh, you said a lot there. I, I'm going to backtrack for just a moment back to the feature request because I was thinking, thinking to myself here, I, I, I misspoke and there is actually a good reason to post feature uh, issues. And that's for the odd case where it's a very, not the odd case, but the hopeful case where it's a very popular library where perhaps multiple people could be working on this feature at the same time if it's a big feature. So there is some benefit, just not too much benefit to posting feature issues. But oh boy, the issue issues, the defect issues, the nasty, ugly ones. Um, Yeah, I get what you're saying. If people just post uh, gigabytes of information into a markdown field, yeah, you just the incentive to actually investigate that and all that is it's just not there, is it? I'm I'm trying to think of what is the ideal bug report, and I was thinking the ideal one to me would be if someone took the unit test framework that you're using in the library and actually wrote a regression test for you. That'd if be they good. could yeah, if they could do a PR with a failing test, I'll fix that bug. Like 
I, I almost feel if they're good enough to write the test, they could probably write the feature or the fix. But, you know, if you, if you can't figure it out, write that test. And that would catch my attention for sure. Okay. But we're not living in an ideal world. So <laughs> uh, even better, do what James said. You need lots of information, but not too much. Yeah. You got to get the dev's attention. And also don't waste your, waste your time, right? I think if I'm, if I'm submitting a bug to, let's say, SQLite Net, and I'm like, hey, I have this issue, I search for it, I don't see it, I'm going to write you up something, but I also don't want to waste a lot of my time just to be if it's going to be accepted or rejected. And if you need more feedback, you're just going to ask me for more feedback. And don't be offended if you get asked for more feedback, because really, that means that that developer is actually engaged, I think, is really yeah, good. That's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That uh, means that means it's there, right? Someone is 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 actually responding. Any PR is good PR. Does that apply? It's pretty close, though. Yeah, you got their attention. Whatever, do whatever it takes to hang on to their attention because it's open source and attention varies greatly between projects. Yeah, I would say I would say if you if I respond to you if you create an issue and I respond to you within twenty four hours. And if you don't respond to me within 24 hours, that... <laughs> oh, this it, sounds it, so unfair. This sounds so privileged, but it's, it's, it's the truth. It's the unfortunate truth. And it's not that I'm not going to come back to it, and I'm going to come back to it. However, you have to realize that I think for anyone that's working on open source projects, we're working on a lot of them. If you, have you looked at our GitHub repos, like there's a lot of stuff. And most likely what has happened at this point, even if you open an issue two weeks ago, it's like monitor it, check your emails. Because the moment that I respond, that means I'm I am I am investigating this. I'm invest I I probably have the solution open. And yeah. like I am ready to repo your issue and fix it now. And if I can't repo it or whatever, I'm like, can't repo, close. You know what I mean? But like, I think grab it. And it's not that I'm privileged. I just think that I, we're in the heat of things. We're getting stuff done. <laughs> and, and, and if you want me to fix it, then it's there and I'm going to be trying to do it. Else, yeah, do a pull request. But what is a pull request? <laughs> well, I, before we go there, I, I want to flip the tables super quick and just say, mm. we've been describing how do you become a better consumer of an open source library. Okay. And I just want to say there is the uh, uh, unfortunate circumstance where maybe the maintainer is not doing such a good job maintaining the library. I always feel like the worst maintainer <laughs> ever. By the I, way, we all feel like the worst maintainer. I feel terrible. Are, but yeah, I feel like I feel like I feel like I am a terrible GitHub uh, maintainer of my open source projects. Like I think I do a pretty good, okay job. But I don't think I manage things correctly. Look, James, I, I have 800 I forks of SQLite-Net. You know what that is? That's 800 people that said he's not accepting my pull request or, well, maybe they wrote a pull request, but they found an issue with the library and took the time to fork the thing. Um, you can try hard. You can work every day on it, but we're, we're finite beings. You know, There's only so many hours in the day. So what do you do uh, when your issue is being completely ignored? You fork the project. Maybe you can get a coalition of people around a new fork of the project <laughs> and get that one feature fixed and hopefully uh, pushed up to the main branch, uh, master branch, eventually. Uh, I just wanted to put that out there that uh, you can be the best consumer and still run into brick walls, unfortunately. Well, what, do we, what do we do when... What do we do as developers... To become better maintainers, it's tough. Uh, the more popular your library becomes, the more repeated issues you get. There's uh, definitely um, a grind to maintaining a project where, oh, a good common one in SQLite that 
Oh, I got to really simplify that name. Anyway, my library is mm-hmm. people want multi-column primary keys. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm all in the Ruby camp of, no, just, <laughs> just do an index. Like, it doesn't need to be a primary key. Get over it. Like, it, it really simplifies the code to really have just one column primary keys. But wow, people really want double column primary keys. So it's a recurring issue. It gets opened, it gets closed. There's a PR, I reject the PR. Another issue comes up, two years pass, and then the cycle continues again. And it's funny, but it's, it's also, it gets tiresome after a while. <laughs> I've stated my opinion, it's my project. There are 400 forks that include multi-column <laughs> primary keys. <laughs> well, it brings you to the integrity of why you created the actual open source project. Sure. We, I created I create open source projects because they're libraries that I want to consume or it's code that I've written. And I want other people to enjoy them and also contribute. Um, but I also don't want to sometimes lose the identity exactly. of why I created it and mutate it into this thing that becomes even harder to manage. Um, yeah, and you're always struggling to keep them small for all the reasons we said in the beginning of... Uh, you want people to be able to contribute. It's going to grow over time, but you don't want it to just randomly grow. You can't accept every pull request. Otherwise, you'll grow bumps on this side of the API, and this side of the API will get ignored. Weird things happen. It has to be done in a more disciplined, goal-driven... What's the right word here? Um, philosophy? Should we document this kind of stuff? I don't know. That's bump, tough. Bump it's the major fuzzy. and then I'm done. That's basically yeah, okay. Did everyone get that joke? <laughs> I was uh, I was working on an open source project. Uh, actually, it was my geolocator project, and I did a bunch of breaking changes. I changed all the namespaces in every single one of my plugins um, because I wanted them to be using plugin dot. Yeah, it, just I, better, just better. And I made it. I did. They were all in beta for a long, long time, and on one day, I updated every single one and pushed new nougats in every single plugin that I had. Updated, broke, new version. I have a readme.txt. If they break, you break because it's a new namespace. Right. So have to do it. But I have that readme.txt that comes up when you update it. God, that's and the it worst. Tells you. Breaking changes are the scariest. And then I realized in this one plugin, my geolocator plugin, that I've heard I had updated a bunch of other ones. I'm like, I'm gonna do breaking changes. I might as well break some other maybe I break some other stuff. <laughs> I just if they're gonna be mad, let them be mad. Let them be mad. Uh so I <laughs> I was, where was I at? I was doing, I was add, I wanted to add async to the end of all my methods because Ooh. there were async methods. I, I might have made that comment at some point. And I forgot two of them. So I went and I did version three. I broke the APIs again and I bumped everything to async. Um, That's what major version numbers are for, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I do major, minor, Good. one, two, three. I do one, two, three. I guess we should give a shout out to semantic versioning. I think there's a, what is it, semanticversion.com, something like that. Something like uh, that. I follow yeah. the NuGet. NuGet has a whole guideline of how they Ooh, okay. they want NuGet to do it. So I follow that NuGet guideline. So when people are updating NuGet nuggets, if you it's will, it's kind of open source 101. But please use a sane versioning system <laughs> just for everyone else, so that we can yeah. keep track of your libraries. Yeah, yeah. So we're running short, but we should mention pull requests just because I'm a completionist and I yeah. feel like we've we've only grazed upon them. Um, but anything that you want to say in particular about pull requests? Well, pull requests are interesting to me because I'm now at the point where a lot of my libraries are all in CI. So you get little integrations like check marks, nice. integrations. 
I'm not going to say that I have tests for everything that I do. A lot of my things are actual things that would have to be run on a device to actually see if they would run. Taking a photo, for instance, that's hard to do yeah. a unit test. It's not just business logic. Mm-hmm. But some of them I do have business logic, which means tests need to be passed, things need to accomplish, and things need to run. Um, so I think for pull requests, you know, what I really look look at is I actually, I know I'm just going to be a big disagreement with you, is I actually want people to tell me that they're working on a feature via an issue and then say, I'm working on it, I request this or something like that. Because if you request the feature, a lot of people don't even know if they should issue a pull request and should they modify code or just wait for me to do it or whoever the maintainer is. So I I always say the first thing, feature request, would you like to implement this? Just send me a pull request. Be super friendly about it. I think that the open source community, there's so much now, and GitHub is growing so fast, and Bitbucket's growing so fast. I just put everything in GitHub. just great pricing um, on it for public and private repos, obviously. But it's like, at this point, I want everyone to know that you can contribute. I already have it in the readme, but I want you to contribute. I can't maintain all these. I need more help. So please send me the pull request. Now, when a pull request comes in, I'll, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fine comb and go through that, that puppy. And... If I'm contributing, there, there's the consumer and me. Like I'm going to find Comet. I want it to be up to my standards. I want to make sure there's well, no breaking let's changes. Let's go a little right? higher level than that first. First, you have to decide: Do I even want this code? Yeah. Uh, no matter how beautiful it was written, feature? how poorly was it written? Yeah, do I even want this? And I, I guess I just bring this up because I find those are the hardest ones to reply to, where someone implements something, they took a lot of time, and you just have to turn it down. And that happens sometimes because of what the philosophy, because of that that we discussed. And other times it's because you really can't use a fine-tooth comb because they kind of butchered all the code and you can't <laughs> go through anymore. Uh, this is a common thing that happens in open source software. Uh, you open a file, you make a one-line change, but your code editor changes every single white space in that file. Mm-hmm. You don't notice because your editor doesn't bother to tell you. You uh, do a pull request and then someone like me says, I'm sorry, I can't take this pull request because you changed everything. Just be aware uh, this happens. Be very careful. I think a lot of uh, library um, repos are containing editor configuration files now, so this should happen less. But putting it out there, before you get the fine-tooth comb out of a PR, it's got to go past those first two stages. Is this a feature I want? Did they even? Is this even a good pull request? So knock those two off. Now you get out the fine tooth comb. Yeah. Well. So so that becomes. I'm. Um, you create a pull request, right? What should you put in the pull pull request, and what should should it actually state, or what should it do? I had a great. I'm trying to find it. Oh my goodness. There was one about. I had a big debate. It took me forever. There it is. Uh, Xamarin plugins pull request 107. Uh, by Lorenz CK. When restoring date time values from the settings, they are now correctly set with date time kind UTC. Ooh. Rationale. Ooh. I, I love this. I loved it so much. Rationale. When restoring a an UTC date time as unspecified as done by default and using it as a UTC timestamp, for instance, when passing the date time value to an API requiring UTC values, the UTC offset may be applied multiple times. Storing and restoring date time values using the UTC time zone ensures that the time zone is always applied correctly, even when date time to universal time is called multiple times. 
And he sent down the pull request. Um, three commits, three files changed. Um, all with very good. There was merging branches. There was setting different things and doing some different tests on it. Updated different tests too. And then I went in. Uh, it took me one a month and a half. Yeah. And I said, it didn't take two years. That's an improvement. I said, I'm interested in bringing this in, but how will it impact existing installs exactly. that have date time saved out? Essentially, will it affect what? Will it affect when develop yeah. what what is the developers yeah, expecting? Yeah. There, there's no flag telling whether it's been migrated or not is basically the issue. Exactly. So he did that, did all this. I actually started adding people. I said, does at Preclarum have any thoughts on this? Um, <laughs> and then I had code I had other code review is, people. Isn't that from called Xamarin. a drive-by when you do that? You just start yeah. tagging people. I started tagging people. And you know, I want this to be collaborative. And this was like an excellent, what an excellent pull request because it made me start analyzing the rest of my code. And I was like, wow, this is just so well done. And it really, there was tests that were set up and, and things like that. Isn't and, that the best part of GitHub? Actually, the part that I think that I've grown the most as a developer is reading these pull request exchanges between the maintainers of libraries and people trying to commit to them. I, I can read the .NET one all day. I can read the Roslyn one all day. Linux, I don't really have the skill to uh, understand those ones. But gosh, watching uh, very knowledgeable professional engineers have a discussion using a little bit too much emoji and GIFs uh, <laughs> on GitHub, such an educational experience. I'm uh, quite jealous of people learning to program right now. I wish I had that resource. Yeah, it'd be pretty much amazing just to like see and, and go through and I thought that was that was pretty fun, and that's what I looked at. I was like, "Oh, this this name is intriguing. It's it's not even it's a it's a fix and a feature at the same time um, for alignment." And then it was interesting because I had people open issues like, "Is it supposed to be saving it and doing this?" And I was yeah. like, "Yeah, totally." And then I can point right at the pull request, I'm like, "Oh, it makes sense." You know, they just have a question about it, and uh, I really went through it, and, and I start thinking in my mind as a developer, like. What happens to previous installs? Now, when I'm contributing, I don't care. I just want the new feature, right? I just want to fix the bug. I want to do stuff, but I don't think about it. But when I started creating these libraries, I started thinking about it then, right? I started thinking it about matters. Yeah. it matters. It matters. I can't go start In breaking it. As much stuff. as a way as you increase your major version number when you change an API, if you change a data format, you should also bump your version number because that is important stuff. I had the exact same problem with SQLite, uh, my library. Uh, it was storing all the dates as strings, which turned out to be very inefficient on iOS and pretty much everywhere else. So I had to have a breaking change where I changed the encoding of date times. And it took me literally years to get the confidence to change the default to break everyone in the past. And I, I, I've thought about it a lot since then because I never liked how I handled the situation. And my conclusion was I should have just bumped the version number when I first discovered the bug, that would have been the signal to everyone. Obviously, some bold text saying the data format has changed and just reminding people, you can't let that stuff hold you back. You have to move forward. Uh, just document it and bump that major version number. Yeah. And what I like to do, too, is is if we decide that you know this thing has to get better, deprecate, make some things obsolete. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Give people some move time. Forward. 
move forward and then just remove them. Just pull, rip the band-aid. One, one version, two versions. Maybe you want to do it in time, six months or a year. Yeah, something like that. And what I've learned is kind of this code that just sits around, this, this zombie code. It really not only bloats some of your library, but it becomes hard to maintain, hard to unmanage. Oh, yeah. So I was, writing, I was writing code in the connectivity plugin just the other day. And I had commented out some code and I was about to comment that this code is no longer needed. That that this is like, this could be used as an alternative to check something. And I go, why is it even here? Like just remove yeah. it. So don't feel don't feel bad about removing it, but uh, I think oh, it's great. people, delete code. That's the only way to guarantee it's bug free is to delete it. Delete it. Yeah. So let's talk about one final thing before we wrap up. And I want to talk about just some tools that I use on a daily basis to actually help with the stuff that we're talking about. You know, we talk about what we should do, what we can mm-hmm. do. Um, but what I use on a day to day basis and when I'm creating open source projects is the very first thing I do is I create a folder called GitHub. Inside my re- repo, I not only included got a Git ignore, I created a license under MIT. It's my favorite license. Um, personally, and inside of the GitHub client, you can create a Visual Studio and a MIT license automatically. But you can create these things called issue templates and pull request templates. And these are new to you, Frank. I think we were talking about them earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, GitHub rolled out this feature is whenever someone hits new issue or sends a pull request, they have to fill in stuff. So what I do is uh, for a new issue, I say, is it a bug or is it a feature request? And I have a template that says, what is this impacting? You know, what is your expected behavior? What's the actual behavior? And what's the steps to reproduce the behavior? Classic. And, and then I say, remove anything that's not there. And I say, what's the version number of the plug, you know, the plugin? What device did you test it on? What simulator did you test it on? And I go that route. For a pull request, I say, you know, what are the changes that you're proposing to fix? And what number is it fixing? Like link it together immediately if you hadn't created an issue yet or an issue doesn't exist and what are you doing and what what is it impacting and potential impacts and the rationale for it. I'm going to add rationale. It's a new thing I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So at least we're helping people. We're just moving along yeah. on a day-to-day basis. Um, so that's like the one thing I just use. That's my quick tip of the, of the day. Yep, and I'll throw in the new fundamentals of the, I, I, I hope I'm saying it right, the editor config file. Do you remember what the name of that file is? It's a new standard that's being promoted, and I think Visual Studio now pays attention to it, and I think VS Code pays attention to it. I don't even know. Ooh, yeah, this is new stuff. Ah, jeez, I don't have access to my internet at the moment, but some kind of editor config. I think Scott Hanselman wrote a blog article on it, so maybe oh. search for him and it. Anyway, just another thing out there. Uh, it'll save you from the pull request to change all the white space, and those are just <laughs> the worst, so you, yes. can, you can save yourself some effort there. Uh, and then my my pro tip is turn on the XML comment generation, then turn on warnings as errors. <laughs> Go get yourself a beer and start documenting. <laughs> it's going to be painful, but it's such a good and necessary step for an open source project to be documented. That's yeah. my pro tip. And let's be awesome, not only contributors, but also consumers, maintainers. maintainers. And let's actually just even grow this community more than ever. And maybe calm it down a little on the GIFs, just a little bit. Yeah. We don't need all of it. I'm, I'm okay with that too. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Well, this has been Merge Conflict. Until next time. I'm Frank Kruger. I'm James find... Monson. All right, we'll I'm go fine. ahead and snapshot it right here. I'm going to just add a footnote. 
How can we make it 45 minutes and then screw up? Oh, no, it's fine. We can, we, I can edit it. You, you can do one edit. Thank you, James. Yeah. <laughs> Don't make me record that. Cool. We'll pick up. Um... Ah, you threw me off. Okay, I'll I'm, I'm going to come in and I'm going to edit it. And right here. This has been Merge Conflict. You can find us, the show, on Twitter, Merge Conflict FM, on our website, mergeconflict.fm, and on Facebook, Merge Conflict FM. Now, of course, we would love and absolutely love if you could leave us a review on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you can. So it really helps us out. But if you want to get a hold of me, we've been talking a lot about open source. Where can they find you, Frank? Hi, I'm Frank Kruger on GitHub. So that's easy to spell, right? No. no. I'm also Preclarum, P-R-A-E-C-L-A-R-U-M. You can find me on GitHub and Twitter there. And you can find me, James Montemagno, at James Montemagno, not only on Twitter, but also on GitHub. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.